Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 20, or excuse me, verse 15. We uh, actually started this, or we're in this passage last week, and I want to just go back to it for a moment for our thoughts on the Lord's Supper today as we come to the Lord's table. And we do come to the Lord's table. I, I make that emphasis every time. I, I want to make sure that we understand this is not Grace Baptist table. This is not the Baptist church table. This is the Lord's table. And so in a few moments as we come to go through that, that uh, exercise of visualizing the sacrifice that Christ gave on the cross, I invite you, if you are a believer, whether you are a member of our church or not, but if you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, that you join in that with us. Because we come to worship him. We come to commune with him. Uh, we come to have this table of fellowship with him. I, I, may, I make the statement often that I'm so thankful that we as believers come to a table of fellowship and not to an altar. Because if we're coming to an altar, we'd be offering sacrifices over and over again, hoping, sometimes maybe against hope, that our sins would be forgiven. But we come to a table of fellowship knowing that the altar has already happened at Calvary. And on the cross, Jesus Christ gave himself as our substitute and as our sacrifice. And so we don't have an altar here. We have a, we have a table. We have a table of fellowship where we observe communion and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with one another as we come to the Lord's Supper. In, in the ninth chapter of Hebrews, beginning verse 15, is the statement that we, we looked at carefully last week about Jesus being the mediator of a new covenant. Now, this is not the only place in the New Testament that Jesus is referred to as a mediator. As a matter of fact, if you were to look back, and don't turn, you don't have time now, we've got to uh, get this, but in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, uh, Paul writes, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus, Jesus being his earthly name, Christ being his title, that he is the Messiah. We sang about that, Jesus, Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel. I mean, all of these things that the scripture talks about that came to bear and came into focus in Jesus Christ is who we're talking about when we're talking about this mediator, this one who stands between God and man. In our own day, we understand what a mediator is whether it's in the, a situation of, of marital difficulties or whether it's in a situation of, of national uh, conflict or national strife or international strife. We know that a mediator is a go-between who brings two parties together. A mediator is one who operates with a foot, if you will, on both sides of the fence trying to get both parties to come together. In the news lately, you've seen the, the talk about America attempting to be a mediator in the whole Mideast conflict, trying to bring the, the Israel, uh, Israel together with the Arab nations and with the Palestinians and trying to mediate that, somehow bring them together with some kind of agreement so that they're no longer at war with one another and at conflict with one another. Well, we won't pass judgment on the, whether that's going to work or not this morning. That's not the point. I want you to see what a mediator does. But for a mediator to be an effective mediator, he has to know something about both sides. He can't come in as just a representative of one side. Now, an ambassador does that. 
An ambassador goes, and we are to be ambassadors of Christ, we're told by John, but an ambassador goes and, and talks to the other side and tries to get the other side to see his government or his side's point of view. A mediator is not an ambassador. A mediator is one who goes with an understanding of and some vested interest in both sides to try to bring them together. And the reason Jesus Christ is able to be our mediator is because he understands both sides of the equation. He is God in the flesh, but he's also man. He is the God-man. We've talked about that extensively in our study of Hebrews. And so he understands our afflictions. He understands our temptations. The scripture says he's been tempted in every way, even as we have, and yet without sin. But he understands us. He sympathizes. He empathizes with where we are in our fallen condition, and he also is God. And so he has an understanding of both sides so he can serve as a go-between. And he tries to bring together parties who are not in communication, who may be alienated, who may be estranged, who may even be at war with Almighty God. He seeks to bring them together as a mediator and as a peacemaker between the two. Indeed, when Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, uh, he's not necessarily talking about those who try to bring international peace. That's quoted a lot in that context. But really he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers, those who serve to bring peace between God and man. In other words, he's talking about evangelists. He's talking about missionaries. He's talking about Christians who seek to take the gospel to a world that is alienated from God. But the writer to Hebrews, in verse 15 says, for this reason, he, that is Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, and we saw last week that covenant word there literally means will, last will and testament, where a last will and testament is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a will is valid only when men are dead. For it is never enforced while, while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant or first will was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses, all the people according to, the, to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkle both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded to you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, it's significant that under the old covenant, there was the, the sprinkling of blood. There was blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices, whereby that blood stood as symbolic of the blood that was yet to be shed on the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we come to this point, we understand that what we're about to do with this table in just a few moments is to memorialize and to symbolize and to celebrate and yet to somberly come before the Lord saying, I recognize that this, this bread is your body that was placed on the cross as our substitute and this juice, this fruit of the vine, is symbolic of your blood 
which was poured out that there might be forgiveness of sin. For apart from the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, the writer of Hebrews says. So we come to this table recognizing that it is not totally unlike the old covenant except that it celebrates one death and one death once and for all, not to be repeated, not to be done again. It was the death of Christ that was efficient and sufficient for all sin and especially efficient for those who believe. Sufficient for all the world. Sufficient for all the sins of the world. For all, for all to be saved, you would not have to shed one more drop of blood. But it's only efficient, only effective for those who come by faith in Jesus Christ. The covenant, the mediator, the go-between is symbolized in this table that we come to this morning. It's amazing that in history, the Lord's table has always been a time for reconsidering not only the covenant that Jesus sealed with Christ, but also the covenant that we make. Making covenant personally with the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism, because baptism is a covenant Symbol. It's a covenant sign. When we are baptized, we are saying, I have been born of the Spirit. I have been born again by the Spirit of God. And now I have been died to self, been buried, and now risen to new life. That I might live not for myself, not unto myself, not for my glory, but for the glory of Christ, for the glory of my Redeemer. Each time his church came to the Lord's table, Richard Baxter, the great Puritan writer, uh, who was pastor in Kittyminster in, in, in England for so many years, he would lead his congregation in covenant renewal. He would begin by leading them in covenant renewal of their own covenant with Christ, a covenant that was often not only visualized in baptism but expressed in baptism, a personal covenant that was used for baptism as far back as the 1500s, but as recently it's been found in the 1700s, uh, something I discovered in doing some reading this weekend that I really liked. This was a personal covenant spoken at baptism by the person being baptized. Listen to these statements. I take God the Father to be my God, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. I take Christ the Son to be my Savior, Acts 5, verse 31. I take the Holy Spirit to be my sanctifier. 1 Peter 1.2 I take the Word of God to be my rule. 2 Timothy 3.16 I take the people of God to be my people. Ruth chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 I dedicate my whole self to the Lord and do this deliberately. Joshua 24, 15. And sincerely, 2 Corinthians 1, 12. And freely, Psalm 110, 3. And forevermore. A, a baptismal candidate would stand there and would make that declaration, would make that personal covenant every time one was baptized. Every time they came to those baptismal waters, they would say, I make a personal covenant with Christ and with God. And you notice how the Trinitarian nature of it. It's with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's upon the Word of God. It's, if you will, adopting the people of God to be my people. And in that, they entered into another covenant relationship. 
and that is a church covenant relationship. They first made covenant with God and with, through Jesus Christ based on the new covenant that's found in his blood, and then they came together and they made covenant with one another. That's what we do. When a person joins this church, or when you joined this church almost four years ago, many of you, but any time uh, subsequent to that, you have been asked a simple question. Have you read and do you understand the covenant of Grace Baptist Church? And are you saying that you are willing to commit yourself to that covenant and to abide by it by God's grace and by God's power? And you answer in the affirmative that yes, I do that. I wonder sometimes if we forget what we did say four years ago or two years ago or whenever you became a part of this church. You see, the covenant is important. It's not just a document that we set on the, uh, in the back on the table and say, pick one up if you want to be a member and read it and study it and then meet with a staff member or a pastor and, and, and go over it somewhat if you have any questions. But it's, a, it's an important document for the life of this church. And every believer who is in Christ in this church has said, that is my covenant. I started to do it by responsive reading this morning, but we've got so much going. I want to just read to you our covenant, our church covenant. Having, as we believe, been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give ourselves to him, and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully make our covenant with each other. Now, you notice the first part of that first paragraph sounds a lot like the personal covenant of the 1700s. It's talking about what I have, uh, the experience I've had with the Lord Jesus Christ and divine grace bringing me to repentance and faith in Christ. And then it comes down to say we make this covenant together because Christianity is not an individualized matter. Now, I realize we've made it a personalized matter, and we, there is a sense in which there's a personal dimension to it, but there's a sense in which Christianity that is only individualized and only personalized is not biblical Christianity. There is the communal, there is the community effect, there is the, the, the corporate effect that, that carries forth true Christianity. That's why people say, well, I'll, I just want to be a Christian, I'm only part of the church. Then you don't want to be a Christian. Because the Christian carries, being a Christian carries with it being not just me and Jesus and nobody else, but it's me and Christ and his body and his fellow, my fellow believers in him. But I digress. I preach too much. The next paragraph in the, in the covenant says, we will work and pray for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That is, we will work for this body to stay unified and in peace with one another. And we'll do that with one another. If we see one breaking the unity, breaking the bond of peace, we will talk to them. We will exhort them to live in peace and live in unity. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and for others. Assembling together is not just an option for the believer. The writer of Hebrews, as we'll see later on in our study, says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. No, that, that's a vital part of, of Christian life. It's not just, I'll go to church if I feel like it, or I'll go to church if there's nothing better to do. 
It's I will assemble myself with my body, my body of believers, and I will pray for me, and I will pray for others that we might walk in the glory of Christ. We will endeavor to bring to maturity all who may at any time come under our care in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will walk together in brotherly love as become members of the Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. In other words, we'll be involved in one another's lives. We'll care for one another. We'll even admonish one another if one is in sin. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lust and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave, so there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and a holy life. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, its ordinances, its discipline, and its doctrine. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. If God should move us from Somerset, we will as soon as possible unite with another church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. You made that covenant. You made that commitment as we come together. I really think you ought to have a copy of that nearby and, and as you study your Bible even on occasion, reach over and read the covenant again and remember what you have said that you will be to this body, this body of believers. When, when the writer of Hebrews talks about this mediator, he talks about a mediator of this new covenant that affects every area of your life. He touches you and he changes you and he makes you new. And when you enter into that covenant with God through the mediator, Jesus Christ, by his grace and by the work of his Holy Spirit, again, the Trinitarian view there, God we have fellowship with God through Christ, our mediator, by the work of his Holy Spirit in our life. That it changes us in the way we look at the world. It changes us the way we look at life. It changes the way we look at one another. We're no longer just neighbors. We're no longer just fellow Somersetians. We are now brothers and sisters together. And we are charged by Holy Scripture to bear one another's burdens, to care for one another, to love one another, to admonish one another, to feed one another, to minister to one another in the grace of God. That's our challenge. When we come to this table, we're reminded that all that we are is dependent upon who he is. That all that we have is by his grace given to us. 
whether it's monetary, whether it's possession, whether it's our spiritual walk with Christ. It's all a grace gift of him. It's all by his will. Uh, Todd read the passage from Isaiah that says he establishes good and he establishes calamity. He can, he can cause security and he can cause insecurity. And many times he causes that insecurity that we might look to the real source of our security and that is him. And that is your family, your church family. Sometimes when things go wrong, we run from the commitments we've made to the church as far as being a body, being a family with one another. When things are difficult, we go hide ourselves and kind of isolate ourselves. And, and the whole covenant says, that's not what you do. When hard times come, you draw closer to him. You trust in him. You, you care for one another. You, you share your needs with your family. And you minister to one another. As we come to this table this morning, I want you to think about your own personal covenant with Christ as well as your covenant with one another. I want you to hear one other covenant that was found in a, an old church in Wales that was unearthed several years ago that they used every year at the beginning of the new year. This is not the new year. But in one sense it is. We're starting a new uh, sort of school year that starts a new church year. And I, I think it's worthy to listen. I want you to think about this as we come to the table. Listen carefully. I most cheerfully and sincerely surrender myself and all you have bestowed on me. For I have nothing else that is good. I, I, I surrender this to you and your service this new year and forevermore. The whole, on the whole, I am your servant. Help me to serve and glorify you. I am yours. Keep me. I am yours. Never leave me. May I never be permitted to dishonor your dear name. Can we make that our covenant? Can we make that our prayer as we come to this table? Would you bow your heads with me? And Father, we are grateful that you have called us, invited us, given us this table of fellowship. That on that night before you were betrayed, you gathered your disciples around and you, you gave them this. They didn't understand it. They were at a total loss. Why are you talking about your body given? Why are you talking about your blood spilled? Peter made that clear when he said, Lord, they'll have to get through me first. They will not get to you. I will die before they get to you. Even after all you told them about your purpose for coming, that you must suffer and die, that you must be raised from the dead on the third day. After all of that, they still didn't understand. Father, we have no excuse for not understanding. For we are on this side of the cross. We are on this side of the resurrection. And we come to this table with full knowledge that you did die.
a horrible death on the cross and you were buried. And for three days your body lie in the tomb. But on that third day, on that glorious Sunday morning, the first day of the week, the stone was rolled away and you came forth alive forevermore bodily resurrected, bodily alive, to bodily ascend into heaven some short time later. Father, we come this morning to renew our personal covenant with you. And Lord, even to renew our covenant with one another. Father, we come this day to say, Lord, I am yours. Do with me as you please. Father, prepare our hearts, prepare our lives for this meal. Convict us of our sin and bring us, O oh Lord, to confession and repentance to walk renewed and walk cleansed in your presence. Thank you, Father. As you continue with your